Some of you may remember that uh, I think maybe three years ago preached a series called Bumper Sticker Theology and we took some things that we see on bumper stickers that uh, kind of have some kind of a spiritual slant to them and we talked through those and what we found out is some of those there were half truths in them. Uh, Just enough truth to make it kind of stick, you know, and people to say it, but certainly not the whole truth. Just enough truth that it catches enough um, uh, playtime to be able to put on a bumper sticker, but probably when you really get down and investigate it, it's not the whole truth, the half truth. Uh, I know you don't remember, but we we talked through the bumper sticker that you've seen, um, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. And that's a true statement, isn't it? There's, there's truth to that, but uh, there's also truth that we're more than just forgiven. Uh, we are grace, Holy Spirit-empowered people to be able to live a life that pleases God, Titus chapter 2. And um, if that's ever used, that bumper sticker is ever used for uh, behavior that's less than becoming a Christian, then that's Certainly not using it in the right way. Is it true that Christians aren't perfect? Absolutely, I'll stand first in that line. Is it true that Christians are forgiven? I certainly hope so, and I believe that with all my hope and counting my eternal salvation on that. But we're more than just forgiven. Um, You see the little bumper sticker that says coexist, and you see all the different signs of of different faiths under that. You see a sign for Islam, you see a sign for Christianity, you see a sign for Judaism, you see a, uh, a sign for uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, so forth and so on. And is it true that Christians should be able to coexist with people of different faith? Yes, it would be less than Christian if we don't. But what is the underwritten statement in that bumper sticker is that they're all just like the same, and there's a lot of different ways to get to heaven, and one faith is as good as another. And as we investigated all of those different faiths, we found out that they're in direct conflict with one another. And one can't be true if the other one is saying the opposite, and another one is saying something else, and another one is saying something else. So there's no question that that's a half-true. We can coexist, but there's truth. But there is truth as well. I want to talk this morning as we continue our series through a uh, road trip through the Gospels. We stop in the Gospel of Mark. And I, I want to talk a little bit about another half-truth. And that truth is um, God helps those who help themselves. I remember going to seminary and people would make fun of that statement. And they would say things like, well, God helps those who can't help themselves. And that sounds really spiritual and all that. It, But if you investigate that statement and you think through that statement, reflect on that statement, it's not true. There is some truth to God helps those to help themselves, but it's not the whole truth of the matter. In fact, some people think that God helps those who help themselves is even in the Bible. I remember watching Jay Leno one time and he went out on the street as he did his man on the street several times and says, can you name some of the Ten Commandments? And many times they would say God helps those. Who help themselves. That's not the only, Jay Leno fans are not the only people who seem to think that God helps those who help themselves is a biblical statement. Can we play that CNN video, Karen? President's speech today, um, 
he uh, referenced the House action yesterday on the um, In God We Trust motto and said, I trust in God, but God wants to see us help ourselves by putting people back to work. Um, I mean, isn't it a bit much to bring God into the jobs debate? <laughs> well, I believe uh, the phrase uh, from the Bible is the Lord helps those who help themselves. And I think no, it's not, the point and just to be able to show you that I'm an equal opportunity offender, check this quote out by Bill O'Reilly. Oh, that's not very good. There we go. But being a Christian, I know, you know, Riley speaking himself, being a Christian, I know while Jesus promoted charity at the highest level, he was not self-destructive. And what he means by self-destructive is the continual, continual handouts to people who need to somehow learn to be able to help themselves and uh, just not receive the handout. And so that's the whole self-destructive in the context there. And then he says, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Does he not? Half truth. Not totally false. Not totally true. There's true parts of it. There's false parts of it. We need to be able to know the difference between those. You know, all through Scripture, we're, we're, we're talked about in, in, in several places about the effort that we to put in the Christian life. You know, it's really ridiculous to be able to think that I can be able to become a Christian and then just go sit out in the middle of a cornfield the rest of my life and showers of blessing will fall down from, on me. There are things that we do to help ourselves in the Christian life. All we receive from God is grace, His unmerited favor. But the Bible says in a hundred different places, there's a whole lot of things we do that puts ourselves in a position to receive His grace. There's a whole lot of things that we do that be able to get ourselves in a place where the grace of God can be able to flow down upon us. So there is a me part of this Christianity. Of course there is a God part of this Christianity. We call on Him for mercy. We call on Him for grace. Jesus paid it all. Amen and hallelujah. But we're denying the truth if there's not a God part of this as well. Philippians chapter 2 kind of shows you both parts of that. Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out, not work for, continue to work out, hear it again, not work for, continue to work out your salvation. And I don't know how you think about that phrase. I think of it as a sponge filled with water. And you fill that sponge with water and you just wring out every single drop of water out of that sponge that you possibly get. I'm going to get every drop of Christianity, every drop of God's grace out of this thing called being a Christian that I possibly can. And Paul says, work out, Christian. Not work for. It's the third time I've said it. Work out your salvation. And when you do that, man, you do it in fear and trembling. And then the verse continues. For it is God who works in you. Work it out. But it's God who works in you. Work it out, Mark. But it's God who works in you. Well, who's really working? God? Yeah. 
Work out, for it is God who works in you to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. They're both true. And in the wise counsel of God on mine, he's reconciled that they're both true. But they're both absolutely true. What's the next passage that we have up here? Colossians 1 says, God is the one we proclaim. Apostle Paul talking almost, this is almost like his mission statement here. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone. What a great mission statement. Paul says, I want, I, want to, I want to preach and I want to teach so I could present everyone that I ever preached to, that I ever pastor, so I could present everyone fully mature in Christ. Fully mature in Christ. And then in the next verse, he says, to this end, another translation says, to this end, I labor, Paul says. To this end, I labor. I labor. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy. With all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. I labor with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. And then you've got 2 Peter chapter 1. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. And in 2 Peter chapter 1 says, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Don't think you don't have what you need. Oh, you need a new husband. No, you don't. You need a new wife. No, you don't. You need a new preacher. Well, you, you may need a new preacher. I don't know. His divine power has given me, His divine power has given you everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We got all we need. So the, next, the very next verse says, now make every effort. I thought we had all we needed. Make every effort. You just told me I already had everything I needed through His divine power. Make every effort. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness. They're both sides of the same coin. They're both sides of the same coin. And we will not grow to maturity in Christ unless you get this. You will not know, grow to maturity in Christ unless you get God helps those who position themselves to receive his grace. All we get from God is grace, unmerited favor. But there are things that I do that position myself to receive his grace. Two sides of the exact same coin. On one side, if it's just about me, I'm a legalist and I'm earning my salvation and that damns me to hell. And it's about me and what I've done and how good of a person I've been. That damns me to hell. And on the other side, it's just all about God. And God does it, God does it all. And, and everything that, that ever is going to be, I don't have to do anything. And God's just going to do it all. And I don't, I don't ever have to go out and go look, go out and look for a job because God is going to find me a job. I don't ever have to go out and, 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 and be able to look for a wife or a husband because I'm praying to God just to bring me a wife 
or husband. I knew a family once that was praying for God to sell their house, and they just, they're claiming the promise, God's going to sell our house, and God's going to sell our house. Well, you know when God sold their house? When they reduced the price, $11,000. Come on. There's a marvelous truth that's attached to all these. God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who position themselves to receive His grace. It's a marvelous truth found in Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bible, would you open it up? We'll have them on the screen back here. we got some Bibles close to the doors. Mark chapter 10. The Gospel of Mark is where we stop today on our road trip through the Gospels. Mark chapter 10. Mark was not one of the disciples. It is thought by Bible scholars that Mark wrote down a lot of Peter's remembrances of Jesus. Now, we don't know that for sure. We don't know that for sure. We're not even sure we know who Mark is. John Mark is referred to a few times, and maybe that's the same Mark in Scripture. I don't know. But we don't know. But in Mark's gospel, wherever Mark got his gospel from us, whether it was from Peter or somewhere else, in Mark's gospel, in chapter 10, is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I bet you I've preached this passage a dozen times in 19 years of preaching, and I try to preach it a different way every single time. But the truth that's here has to be repeated, and it has to be repeated over and over again because it's vital for your spiritual growth. It's vital for you to grow from infancy to a man or woman that God wants you to be. The Bible says they, that's Jesus and his disciples, came to Jericho, together with a large crowd, they were leaving a city, and a blind man, Bartimaeus, that's the same as saying son of Timaeus, that's what Bartimaeus means, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard there was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. There's a sermon right there. How can you stop Jesus in his tracks? How do you stop Jesus in his tracks? Words that are similar to, Son of David, have mercy on me. They stop him. They stop him in his tracks. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside. We don't use that word. When's the last time you used the word cloak, okay? Throwing his garment aside, throwing his coat aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, which means teacher, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Karen, would you go back to the first slide of that scripture passage, Mark 10, 46, that one. I don't know how a blind man gets, last sentence, beside the road. Okay, he's blind, okay? Did, did he just feel his way to the road? I have no clue. Did they have a first century equivalent of a seeing eye dog? I have zero clue. Did friends help him to get beside the road? I have no clue. Total 
speculation. But the thing the Bible says, the only thing I know for certain that the Bible says that I don't have to speculate on was that he was beside the road. You see, friends, he got to a place where Jesus was coming by. Now, blind men in that day and age, they didn't have, I mean, what could they do? They didn't have social services to be able to help them. They didn't have the services that we have today for people that are blind. What did a blind man do? He begged. He begged. That was his or her existence. He did what he could do. Here's a little speculation. Here's a little reading between the lines. He heard about this Jesus. He heard about this guy that was healing blind eyes. He heard about this guy that was feeding the 5,000. He heard about this guy that was doing all kinds of miracles. He was kind of controversial guy. Some people say he's of the devil. Some people say he's God himself. God sent him. I don't know, but I hear he's been doing some unbelievable things. i got to get to him. Because you know what? When you're desperate, you'll do whatever you have to do. You know what my dad told me? <laughs> and some of you may laugh at this, but if you ever have cancer, you won't. My dad was dying of cancer, and my dad was still in his right mind. And that's when the whole thing, of course, we still had the whole thing about medical marijuana, you know? And my dad, the old-time Methodist preacher, says, Mark, if I thought I could drink, smoke some marijuana and make me feel better, I'd do it in a heartbeat. When you're desperate, when you're desperate, You'll travel to the Philippines to look up some doctor that's got some special cure. I don't know. He's blind, and he did something that got himself beside the roadside. He did what he could do. He could have stayed back wherever he was and felt sorry for himself and cursed God and die, but he did what he could do. He got himself by the roadside. He got himself to a place that Jesus was coming by. He put himself in a position to receive the grace of God, and look, here comes the grace of God right now. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He did what we could do. He admitted his need, and he didn't even care that the other said, you're, 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 you're too loud. You're not being reverent. You're not sophisticated enough for us at the first church of the Nazarene. He said he didn't care. Jesus, he said even louder, son of David, have mercy on me. By the roadside, friend. By the roadside. He did what he could do. God helps those who get beside the roadside. God helps those who get to a place where Jesus is coming by. Hey, Nick, would you come up here, please? Guy came in my office this week, and Tuesday or Wednesday, and he got beside the roadside. I'm sure it wasn't an easy thing for, for Nick to be able to come and talk to the pastor. It's kind of like going to the principal's office or something, you know. And, and Nick came into my office with his aunt and just basically told me of a story that's similar to some of our stories. And he just said he needed God in his life. He needed a new start. He got by the roadside. He got by the roadside, and he probably had to humble himself to get by that roadside. 
and I'm here to introduce to you Nick Vamos, which is a brand new Christian this morning. And in his in his own way, and in his own way, he said, "Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me." You know what? It was hard to pray, wasn't it? There's a spiritual battle going on. It was hard to get. And I told him, I'm, I'm not going to feed you words. I want those words to come from you. There's a spiritual battle going on in my office. And it was hard for him to even utter the words. But he took the step. What can a guy do that, just like you and me, he's made some bad choices? What can a guy do? Well, just maybe God can help me and just maybe the pastor can explain it to me. Let's welcome Nick to the family of God. Are you by the roadside? Are you by the roadside? Is there something else you can do this week to get beside the roadside that you didn't do this past week? Is there another habit? Is there another ritual? Is there another daily routine type of thing that you can do that puts yourself in a place where Jesus is coming by? Because let me tell you, God helps those who get beside the roadside. God helps those who get to a place where Jesus is coming by. Don't ever, ever, ever let anyone tell you that this Christianity thing is all of God and there's nothing of us. He, he had to cry out. Nick had to ask for forgiveness. Nick, Nick had to humble himself. Nick had to pray on his own. Nick had to come in a pastor's office and and, 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 and lay out his dirty laundry, not, not in front of me, but in a way in front of God. Oh, is God sovereign in all of his grace? Yes, absolutely. Our, do we have responsibility? Yes, absolutely. You'll never, ever reach spiritual maturity unless you understand that. There's many scriptures, and I could just take an hour and list scripture after scripture after scripture that speak to our responsibility in the Christian life. Things that we do to help ourselves. Well, Luke chapter 11 is, is, is one of them. Jesus speaking, ask, 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 seek. Are you a seeker? Wow. Are you a seeker? There is no one that is a candidate for salvation unless there's some seeking going on in your life. Because the Bible says no one comes to Jesus unless the Father has drawn him. That's God's part. Still got to cross the line on your own. Somehow they meet in the middle. Are you a seeker? Uh, you can't walk down the street with, with just a secular person who, who doesn't even know where the 
the, the book of Job is. There's, you just can't walk down the street and, and, and just all of a sudden, well, I think I'll become a Christian today. No, there has to be seeking going on. There has to be some kind of, of a flame lit inside of your spirit. There has to be something going on in your spirit that, that kind of thinks, well, maybe there is another way. And, and God starts that work. He may do it through somebody else. He may do it through a message. He may do it through a song. He lights that fire in our spirit. Greatest hymns of all time is Charles Wesley's And Can It Be. You know the verse I'm going to? <laughs> Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. <laughs> God's eyes diffused, discerned something quickening in me. Who, who do we go after? Who, who, who do we follow up? Who are we really anxious to, to, to feed into and follow up and bird dog them? It's seekers. Seekers. People that have come to church a few times. People that have something going on and, and they're not Christian, but they just may think just maybe Jesus is the answer, but they're not really sure. But there's some seeking going on in their life. Boy, you spend a lot of energy right there. You can go on a cold call all you want to. You can go on a cold call all you want to. Well, man, give me some addresses of some people that have already called and solicited some information. They're seekers. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off. Let us throw off. Go through, go through the book of Hebrews and highlight everywhere that little phrase, let us, comes up. It's let us, let us, let us, let us, let us. Let us throw off. Throw off everything that hinders us in this Christian life. About three weeks ago, I got tired of being a fat slob, and I've lost 17 pounds in three weeks, okay? And the only person not clapping that is Terry Papp, who I beat on the tennis court now because I couldn't before, because I couldn't run my fat body across the tennis court. Actually, I'm getting ready to go to the beach, and I want my beach bod looking good, but... But it is amazing. I've thrown something off, and it's amazing. It's a new mark out there. Writer of the Hebrews says, throw off. Throw off. Now the real key for me is, can I keep it off? Okay? It's not hard to take it off, but can you? Keep it off. But throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, which forever scripturally makes a, di- makes a distinction between things you throw off that evidently aren't sin, because then he has a phrase said, and the sin. So there are things that aren't sin, things that are not necessarily bad, but they may not be conducive for my spiritual life. They're not sin. They're not bad. But they may not be conducive for my spiritual growth. Throw off. 
all things that hinder us, and another category, the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Is it James 4.8 that says, you draw near to God and God will draw near to you? You will not learn a more important spiritual truth that will promote your, your spiritual growth and your Christian maturity other than getting by the roadside. Get to a place where Jesus can come by. Congratulations, you got there this morning. You're here. I, I assume you could be at the golf course, and I guess God can come by. God can do what he wants. He can come by the golf course if he wants. I assume you, you could have stayed home and watched Charles Stanley, and that's well and good, and there are a lot of people that have to do that because they're infirm. But there's something special about the corporate gathering of people. I, I, could, I, could, I could list the next month of Sundays the way that we get beside the roadside, but here's one of them right here. You're here. <laughs> the Old Testament has an unbelievable story that I want to share it with you, and I'm done. The Ten Commandments are given in Exodus chapter 20. Obviously, before Exodus 20, you have Exodus 19, and this is in Exodus 19. Moses went up to God on the mountain where he was going to get the Ten Commandments. He went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Some of the most precious words in all of Scripture here. This is, this is God. This is God. And this, this, is, this is his heart toward the nation Israel and, and toward us who have been engrafted into the vine. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. What I did, God says. What I did to Egypt. How I carried you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? And I brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me fully, you've seen what I did to Israel. Now, if you will obey me fully, you've seen what I did to Israel, did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me fully and keep my covenant, then all of all nations you will be my treasured possessions. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's before the Ten Commandments are given. And the next verse says, So Moses went back down the mountain and he summoned all the elders, people, and set before them all the words the Lord had told him to say. He said, Go tell that to the nation of Israel. So I guess Moses went down and said, this is what the Lord says. You have seen what I did to Egypt and so forth and so on. The people all responded together. Before they knew what God asked of them. 
before the Ten Commandments are given. We're in Exodus 19. We're not in Exodus 20 yet. Before the command is given, before he took his finger and wrote the Decalogue, the people says, we'll do whatever he says. We'll do whatever he says. But you don't know what it is yet. We'll do whatever he says. Well, don't you want to hear what the... No, he's a good God and we'll do whatever he says. Let me tell you, that puts you smack dab by the roadside. With that type of desire in your heart, with that type of yes to God in your spirit, you are right by the roadside. You are a place where Jesus is coming by. You are a place to be able to receive the grace of God when you say one big yes. Whatever you say, God, whatever you say, whether it's through your word, whether it's through preaching, whether it's however I receive you, and if I know it's you, I'm going to follow it. Wow. You got grace coming to you. You got help coming to you. I wish my kids would do that. Because there's no one on the face of this earth that wants good for Christopher and Levi more than I. I want good for them. And they haven't quite figured that out yet. And everything I tell them, whether it might be easy for them to do or whether it might be very hard for them to do, it's good for them because their dad is good and wants good for them. And Jesus said, if your earthly father, if you'll do what your earthly father says and he's good, how much more, let me make up a word, how much more gooder is your heavenly father? And all those good things that God will give you will not be easy, as it wasn't easy for Nick to walk in my office this week. Christopher is going to be a sixth grader, and he's feeling like he's a little too old to go to children's church. And we talked about that, and I said, well, we continued to talk about it, and I said, i tell you what. You just can't run out on Pastor Brian. You need to go tell Pastor Brian that you feel like you'd like to go to big church. Because after all, you just don't run out on a pastor and not tell him where you're going. I mean, it's rude. Somebody got it over there. <laughs> well, he hadn't gone and talked to Pastor Brian. Because <laughs> that's a hard thing to do. For a 12-year-old. But it's the right thing to do. And if he swallows hard and ends up doing that, he'll remember that the rest of his life. You see, his dad tells him good things, even though they may be difficult things. And the nation of Israel says, before we even know what those 10 things are going to be. Oh, we didn't, they didn't even know it was going to be 10. It could have been 10 million. I mean, they didn't know how many it was going to be. Before we know what it is, God, we're going to do it. That kind of heart's desire puts you right by the roadside, friends. That's where Jesus comes by. You've just helped yourself a whole lot in the Christian life.
So, is there a habit? Is there a new routine? Is there something this week you need to do that you didn't do last week? Put yourself by the roadside. Oh, I could list a hundred of them. I'm not going to be the whole spirit. Is there something you do this week that gets to a place where Jesus is coming by? Is there something you do this week that helps yourself? Is there some place this week that you can position yourself so the grace of God can flow down on you? Our ushers are coming, and we're about to receive communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, however you understand that. This is called a sacrament. We believe it's infused with grace. That as you ingest the bread, which is a symbol of his body, and as you take the cup, which is a symbol of his blood, in a way that I can't understand and you can't understand, we put ourselves in a position to receive his grace. Because after all, we're just being obedient because he says, do this in remembrance of me. The Bible tells me as a preacher to proclaim the Lord's death whenever you get together. And one way we do that every Sunday is by the receiving of the Lord's Supper. You're by the roadside. Let's pray together. Father, I just wish these people fully could grab it how much truth was just preached. Not because of the preacher because the Bible was just preached. And, and how much that this truth can revolutionize their Christian life. That there are two sides to this coin. And God expects me to make every effort, although he's given me everything I need for divine power and godliness. That God expects me to, to persist and endure even though at the end he was one to give me the will to even do that and God calls us to be seekers and even though when all is said and done we'll find out that we were sought Father would you take this truth and plant it in my heart and plant it in these people's hearts Jesus' name.